0: Once there was a time when all the elements of earth, sea, and sky lived on the land together in many, many villages. Many years ago, back in the old country, there lived a holy sweet couple who loved each other so very much.
1: A long time ago, in a village, somewhere in Tamil Nadu, they lived a mother. There was once...
2: A man, tall and handsome, who met a a woman, beautiful
0: and elegant, and they fell in love with each other.
1: Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. This episode has stories that might be considered spooky or sad for sensitive listeners. So be bold, be bold, but not too bold. One of my jobs as a storyteller is leading ghost tours around Old Town Fort Collins here in Colorado. I dress up in a big, black, Victorian-esque dress and take people into dark basements to tell the haunted history and paranormal present to couples on dates and families who know that those who traumatically bond together stay together. Underneath the Avery building, I usually help guide the group into the darkness and then turn them over to another guide, who stands with only a flashlight giving out a little light, telling about the tragic events that led to William Avery's death— possibly murder, and the hauntings that have plagued the building. I usually back off and around a corner to stand in the darkness and listen. One evening, as I stood there, I felt someone come and stand next to me. I saw the shadow moving and heard a whisper. Do you feel that? As a guide, it is my responsibility to be completely supportive. Feel what? Something is here with us. I was intrigued What do you mean? It's here. The first story for this episode happens in the shadows and the twilight and features a storyteller new to the podcast. Steve Lally is from Northern Ireland and spins the tale, Con and the Fairies.
2: Hello, my name is Steve Lally and I'm a storyteller from County and the island of Ireland. And I'm going to tell you a story that was inspired by a ghost story I'd heard many years ago from Japan. This story was about a ghost or a demon known as a Naprabo or a Mujina. A strange, faceless ghost. But the story I'm going to tell you isn't a ghost story. It's a story from Irish folklore that's very close to my heart. A part of Irish folklore that we call the fairies. The good folk. The wee folk. Now, the Irish fairies are not like the sort of thing you'd see on Walt Disney or what the English Victorians came up with. Beautiful little creatures with wings like petals that fluttered about the place like butterflies. No. The Irish fairies... Came in all shapes and sizes, and they could often be cruel and mischievous. Now, our story starts off in the town of Ballinasloe in County Galway, where a big fair was taking place. And there was a man called Con the Stick, or Con the Stick Man, and he would go to all the fairs. He got his name from what he sold, which was sticks. Not just any kind of stick. They were walking sticks made from blackthorn and hawthorn. And Con was very skilled at this. And it takes a a very special type of a person to be able to find the right stick that'll make the best hawthorn or blackthorn that'll last you a lifetime even. And people knew of his work and, and would come from miles around to buy his sticks if they knew he was coming to a market or a fair. So, on this particular occasion in Ballinasloe, Con the stick man was selling his wares and doing very, very well. And at the end of the day, when everyone was packing away their stuff, one of the other traders came over to Con and said, Oh, are you going to stay overnight? Uh, I'm in one of the inns up the road there. And... Con says no no no, I'm I'm not staying the night, I am away home. The other man said it's it's getting very late and you know, I wouldn't want to be walking these dark roads. Con says I'll be fine, and he told the man about this wee road that he knew that there was a, a shortcut to where he was going. When the man heard what Con had said and when he described this road, his face turned white. He looked at Con, and he said, You may want to go home tonight but do not take that road, for that road is a fairy path. (laughs) Con, he just laughed. He said, a fairy path, would you get away with it? The man says, listen, you don't want to be messing with the fairy folk, especially at this hour. Fairy folk, fairy jokes, says Con. Listen, I'm away. It was nice meeting you, but good luck. So... Con headed on his way along this fairy path. The moon was bright enough in the sky, and it sent a silvery light about the place so it wasn't too dark. And as Con walked along the road he saw something in the distance. It, it looked like a figure sitting on the side of the road. As he got closer he could see that it was a it was a woman with long black hair wearing a bright white dress. And she was weeping, she was crying ever so softly. Con felt sorry for her, he said, the poor Craitha, look at her sitting there. Oh dear, oh dear, I better go and see if she's all right. So Con, the stick man, walked over to this woman. He looked at her as she sat there weeping, rocking backwards and forwards. He he reached out his hand and, and he says, are you all right? What's wrong with you, my dear? She said nothing and then she started to stand up and as she stood up she got taller and taller and taller until she was head and shoulders over Khan he looked up at her he reached out his hand and touched her shoulder it was icy cold and as soon as his hand touched her the weeping turned to laughter a mocking sort of a laughter <laughs> Well, Khan wasn't too happy about this. He said, why are you laughing at me? I'm just trying to help you for goodness sake. There's no need for that. But then the woman turned around and revealed her face to Con. It was the most horrifying thing he'd ever seen. He screamed, oh, the sight was so horrendous. A sight that human eyes should never ever witness. He ran as fast as he could into the darkness and as he ran he could hear the sound of the creature's laughter behind him. (laughs) He ran and he ran, his heart pounding in his chest until he could run no longer. He fell to his knees out of breath. Eventually he gathered himself up and started to walk on for there was no way he was going to walk back, not facing that thing again. And as he walked on, he saw a little light in the distance. He felt some relief. He thought to himself, it must be the light from a cottage. Surely to goodness I can go in there, at least until it gets bright. And as he got closer and closer, he noticed that the light wasn't from a cottage, but it was a little tilly lamp, a little gas lamp that people used many years ago. The lamp belonged to an old man who was just standing by the road, wearing shabby sort of clothes. Con thought, oh, must be a tinker, man. Ah, uh, well, thank, thank, thank God, he says. Oh, he went over to the man, uh, and, and he could barely speak. He was he was so frightened, he could hardly find the words to, to say what had happened, and he just found himself speaking gibberish. He just found himself saying, the woman, the woman, the woman. And the old man says, "Woman, what? What woman are you talking about? Did some woman rob you or something?" The the woman, the, the woman, her face, her face, her face. What about her face? Says the man. What are you talking about? Her face. It was like, it was like, it was like, it was like. What? Says the man. It was like, it was like. And then the man turned around and screamed. Was it like this? And the man had the same horrible, terrifying face as the woman that Con had met on the road. With that, the tilly lamp went out and the place was in darkness and silence until the morning came. Now, that morning, a man was walking along the same road and he found a stick, one of Con's sticks. He reached down and picked it up and then, above his head, The wind whistled, and carrying upon it was the sound, the sound of laughter. (laughs) (laughs) Shineen Scale. That's the story. Thank you.
1: In the graveyard, the dearly departed wait for the sound of the midnight chime to begin their revels, And because the clock is made by the royal clockmakers, they rise from their graves at precisely the correct time. The royal clockmakers have calibrated each tick and talk to let you know when you need to flee a party or dance with the departed. Fairy tales are timeless. Let the royal clockmakers tell you the time of your happily ever after. What is here? In the dark and muffled heat of the basement, I couldn't quite make out the guest. We get all kinds of people on the ghost tours, believers and non-believers, the sensitive and insensitive, who would rather let everyone know they do or do not believe. I simply smile pleasantly and try to help them have a good time. But this guest stood silently. What is here? I leaned towards the shadow of the person and it leaned towards me, but didn't say anything. Hello? I reached out my hand and touched something cold and smooth. I jerked my hand back, clicked on my flashlight, and started back as a wide-eyed face looked at me. Then I realized what I was looking at. The mirror that hung across the hall from me, and it was my face. I shook myself and blinked at my reflection. That was strange. I could have sworn I heard. Then it happened. My reflection winked, and the left side of its mouth turned up. I know I didn't move, but the reflection kept moving. It put one finger to its lips, and then raising the flashlight in the mirror, turned it off. My own flashlight clicked off, and I was plunged into darkness. "'Oh, heck no!' I said out loud, and scurried around the corner, quickly drawing close to the group who were leaning in towards the single flashlight beam and listening to the guide as he told them how that building had been plagued with shadowy figures and people feeling like they were being watched.' I drew close to those who stood at the back and tried to slow my breathing, and in the darkness behind me, my own faint laughter <laughs> echoed and faded away. It is those echoes of things so familiar yet impossible that chill us. Chicago storyteller Janice Del Negro tells this well in the story, Martha Seaton.
0: When her son drowned, Martha Seaton stopped singing. Oh, she was still a loving wife and helpmate, but you could tell her heart wasn't in it. Joe, her husband, hoped she'd get over it in time, but Martha just grew quieter and quieter. She never went down to Cliffsend Beach after Johnny died. She avoided the water altogether when she could, but there was no escaping the smell of the sea in her nostrils or the taste of salt on her lips. After a while, her silence seemed natural, and everyone but Joe forgot that Martha used to sing the tides in and out. One summer night, a year after her boy was drowned, Martha lay beside her husband in the dark, listening to the sound of his breathing, the sound of the sea. It was nearly dawn. She heard the muffled clatter of the milk wagon and the clank of old Spry leaving the new milk can and picking up the old. Then she heard something else. At first, she thought she was dreaming, but listening to Joe snore, she knew she was awake, and she knew the sound. It was a baby crying in the night. The low wail came over and over again. It was enough to break her heart. Joe, Joe, wake up, Martha whispered. What? What is it, Martha? Listen, can't you hear it? What? No, nothing. Joe heard only the wind and the sea, while to Martha the cry was more and more urgent. Joe, are you mad? You must hear it. Martha, you've been dreaming again. Am I awake now? Yes? Then I hear a baby crying as clear as if it were in this room. I tell you I hear it. Martha stopped and listened again. There now, you must hear that. Joe looked sadly at his wife. You don't hear it, do you? "'The singing. You really don't. There. It's stopped now. "'Martha, darling, you must have been asleep, dreaming again.' "'Joe sat up with Martha for a while, but was soon asleep. "'Martha lay awake, listening as the sky grew light, "'but all she heard was the sound of gulls crying over the sea. "'Later that morning, Joe went out for the milk.' Well, I'm damned, he said as he swung the milk can up onto the table. Old Spry is getting old or crooked. He's shorted us at least three, four cups of milk today. Oh, don't be silly, Joe. Old Spry's no older than you, and a straight limb doesn't grow crooked overnight. Probably the cats got to it before you did, is all. Joe didn't care what happened to the milk, not really. He woke up worried about Martha. The dreams had been terrible the weeks after Johnny's death. "'but last night had been worse than ever. "'He was so glad to get such a reasonable response. "'He didn't care if she was cranky with him. "'Their day passed in work and meals, "'and that night when Joe's head hit the pillow, "'he was sound asleep. "'Martha lay awake through the night, waiting. "'Just before dawn, she heard old Spry "'pick up the old milk can and leave the new. "'When the crying came again, "'she didn't wake Joe.' She slipped out of bed and down the stairs. She was heading for the door, determined to locate the source of the crying when a shadow passed by the window. Martha pulled the curtains back, in time to see the figure of a woman walking into the fog toward Cliff's end. The woman walked slowly, holding something in her hands. Martha ran to unlock the cottage door. The crying would break her heart. "'Martha, are you walking in your sleep? What are you doing?' I've seen her, Joe, I've seen her. Martha flung open the door. There, there, do you see her? Joe peered anxiously at his wife. Don't look at me, Joe, look there, there. Joe looked. But where Martha saw the figure of a young woman fading into the morning fog, Joe saw nothing. Come back to bed, Martha. You'll catch a chill, Joe said gently. Martha looked at him and sighed. It was no use. He didn't see. He didn't hear. And maybe she was mad after all this time. No, no, Joe, I won't go to bed. I won't sleep anyway. It'll be light soon. I'll go out into the kitchen and make some tea. And that's just what she did, leaving Joe worrying by the door. He was so worried about her that later that morning he didn't tell her that Old Spry had shorted them four cups of milk again. The day passed as days will, and Martha stayed busy but silent. At lunch, when Joe came home from his boat, he found her on the porch, frowning towards Cliff's end. That night even Joe slept lightly, but not lightly enough. Martha waited until she heard the milk cans clink and old spry drive away in the milk wagon. When the crying began again, she was ready. Standing by the open cottage door... Martha saw a young woman come out of the morning fog. She tipped milk from the milk can into a deep blue bowl, then turned and walked back toward Cliff's end. The morning fog wrapped around her. Wait, cried Martha, come back. The baby's wails seemed part of the wind. Wait, I can help. Martha jumped off the porch and hurried after the woman. She could barely keep her in sight. At the edge of the cliff, the woman turned and looked at Martha. Their eyes met. Martha had never seen eyes like these before. There was such pleading there, such entreaty, that Martha was frozen where she stood. The young woman moved so quickly. Oh, don't, cried Martha, don't. But the woman was gone. Martha ran to the cliff's edge. The young woman could not have found her way down the cliff path in the dark, but there was no broken body on the rocks. Instead of a baby's cry, there was a song, a sweet, soft croon, along with the sound of the sea. Joe found Martha kneeling at the edge of the cliff, gazing into the morning tide. He led her home, wrapped her in a blanket at the kitchen table, and made her some tea. She sat, her hands around the warm cup, thinking and silent. Joe wanted to go for the doctor but feared leaving her alone. He knew he could not bear to bring his wife's body up from the sea the way he had his sons. I'm all right, Joe, Martha said finally. You go on and see to your work. I wasn't thinking of following her into the sea, really. I'm going to sit on the porch. And that's just what she did. She sat there all day, frowning at Cliff's end, listening to the sea. Joe stayed close to the house and close to Martha. There were enough chores to do, but each time he checked, and it was often, there she sat, frowning towards Cliff's end. At sunset, Joe joined Martha on the porch. There'll be a flood tide tonight. The sea's already coming in fast. He wished the words unsaid as soon as spoken. It had been a flood tide that had taken their son by surprise and changed the currents near Cliffs End Beach. Martha stirred, and there was a sudden light in her eyes. That's it, Joe. That's it. That's why. She dropped her teacup and, with the blanket still around her shoulders, ran to the edge of the porch Joe grabbed her wrist to hold her back. She turned and grabbed his shirt front, shaking him. Don't you see, Joe? Don't you see? We've got to go now before the tide comes in. With the flood tide, tomorrow will be too late. Now, Joe, we have to go now. He followed her. What else could he do? He thought she was mad. He thought the grief had finally caught her. He thought she was having nightmares in the twilight. He didn't know what he thought. He followed her to the edge of the cliff. There was a narrow stone path down to the inlet. Neither had used it since Joe had carried Johnny's body up the cliff face that long year ago. But now both scrambled down to the small strip of beach, visible only at low tide. Martha got there first, gave a small cry, and fell to her knees in the sand. Joe, coming up behind her, saw what she saw. There was a body at the water's edge, a young woman in a dark green dress. Her long hair was tangled in the rocks, and the waves lifted her body, her long dark hair, and the dark green dress. Don't look, Martha, said Joe. Don't look. She'd seen Johnny's body when he brought it up from the sea. It had been pale and white, without a mark. But Joe knew this woman had been in the water three, four days at least. She'd been pretty once, but not any more. And Joe didn't want Martha to have anyone else to people her dreams. As he untangled the young woman's hair and lifted her from the water, he heard a low wail. He thought it was Martha. She was the only one there. He stumbled from the water and lay the body on the sand, stripping off his jacket to cover the face. Martha was on her feet, looking around, frantic, wringing her hands. The low wail came over and over again. It was enough to break his heart. But Martha, what is it? he asked. Relief flooded Martha's face. You hear it, Joe? You really hear it? He nodded, yes, but what is it? Where is it? Martha pointed to a low rock shelf just above the tide line, where Johnny used to leave his clothes when he went to swim. There, Joe, there. Joe climbed up. An incoming wave lifted the drowned woman's hair and wet the hem of Martha's skirt. Joe peered into the shelf. For a moment he was still, then. Here, Martha, catch. Into her waiting hands he dropped a deep blue bowl. She could still smell the milk it once held. I'm coming down. Look out now. What a picture they must have made. Martha, a drowned woman at her feet, gazing up at her husband as he climbed one-handed down the rocks. Joe stepped carefully, for it grew darker by the moment. Safe on the sand, he turned to his wife. Hold out your arms, he said to Martha. And into them he put the baby, just a few weeks old and quite, quite alive. There now, said Martha. There, there now. She made soothing, reassuring noises, wrapping the baby in the blanket she still had around her shoulders. Can you bring the mother, Joe? Poor soul, we mustn't leave her. The seas had enough of her already. Joe followed Martha up the stony path, carrying the drowned woman as gently as Martha carried the child. They found out later that the young woman came from an inland village. Her husband was a sailor lost at sea. When she'd received the news... The child was just born. It was too much for her. She began to wander in her mind. One moonless night, carrying nothing but her child and the deep blue bowl, she crept out of her village and down to the sea. No one claimed the body, not even the pastor. There was some question as to whether the girl should lay in hallowed ground, you see. Martha had no questions. She and Joe buried the young mother next to their son, and the flowers that Martha planted on one grave spread to the other. No one claimed the child, either. Not that Martha would have given her up. It seemed only fair to her that from the sea that had taken her son, she would save a daughter. And when the little girl grew up, Martha told her about the young mother, who had loved her child so much She had defied death and come back to save her from the sea. Martha always took it as a personal kindness that she did so.
1: Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show notes and more information about the storytellers you heard today can be found at storystorypodcast.com forward slash episode 32. Show the love. Find Steve Lally and Janice Del Negro on Facebook and the internet. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more story. In fairy tales, the magic number is three. So I have three things for you to do. One, like and rate the show on iTunes. It helps others find the podcast. Two, join the mailing list. You will get a link to the podcast delivered to your inbox, plus news and other storytelling related goodness three consider becoming a supporter for as little as four dollars the cost of a scary mask that you can jump out at trick-or-treaters with not that i would do that of course you help support the podcast and we'll get access to a story story short which is just what it sounds like an extra story just for the patrons the short for this episode is elazo the horse that saved six lives by antonio josia you can find out how to support the podcast and join the mailing list at storystorypodcast.com. And thank you as big as the sugar rush that I will get from eating the candy I meant to hand out to the kids, to those who are donating. If you would like to stay connected, you can find me and the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Story Story Podcast or Rachel Ann Harding. Come say hello. Check out the ads for the fairy tale sponsors and let me know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. Next episode, we will hear stories about restless spirits and spine-tingling tales. I hope you'll join me again. And until then, live happily ever after.
0: The wedding lasted for seven days. seven countries wear out three pairs of
2: boots, battle two giants, and the grandmother of all witches Baba Yaga before I was reunited with my frog princess. But that's a story for another
1: time. The last thing he said before he died was a curse on anyone who would dare to go sing with the fairies.
0: Just because a story is strange mistake, it can also be true.